let's, uh, let's wish Trish a happy 70th birthday for yesterday, I believe. So happy birthday, Trish. And today we're continuing our, our series on the Lord's Prayer. We have three more Sundays on the Lord's Prayer. We're looking at the fifth petition today and next week. So we're dividing the fifth petition into two pieces, half today, half next week, and then we'll finish the Lord's Prayer the Sunday before Easter on Palm Sunday. And again, just while you're opening your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, where we see the Lord's Prayer, just to continue to continue to update how we're going with our search for new premises. We think we have one or two possibilities and uh, we will let you know as soon as they become more, more clear to us. But we may in fact be meeting in our new venue. It's possible we'll be there Sunday week. So just be aware of that because this will be a building site very soon. And although the builders have promised us safe access, it's, uh, we think it might be better to, to move before it becomes a building site. So we, it might be Sunday week. So just be alert to that. Emails will be sent. We'll keep you up to date. And uh, we'll let you know as soon as we have any more news there. I hope that doesn't disturb you too much. And uh, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting. So Matthew chapter 6. <laughs> Just keep telling yourself that. That's what you're thinking, right? Yeah? <laughs> well, I, I still remember when I was 18 years old taking out my first bank loan. And that was an intimidating process to have to go through. I remember going to the, the National Bank of Australia, as it used to be called, in its imposing uh, marble building in Subiaco in Western Australia, sitting in the office of the bank manager, who seemed to me even more frightening than a high school principal at the time. And he had these, these forms laid out, and it was all quite terrifying. They had to sign my name for the $2,850 that I was borrowing for my first car. And leaving the, 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 the bank that day, the bank building, was not really a pleasant feeling because all of a sudden I now owed. All of a sudden I was in debt and I owed money to this frightening place called the National Australia Bank and I knew that I had to make those fortnightly payments and there was a weight on my shoulders as I left the bank that day. The feeling of being in debt the feeling of owing money to someone that you haven't yet paid is a very unpleasant feeling, isn't it? Well, the Bible says that you and I, every one of us stands before God with an unpaid debt. As our creator, he has deserved our full respect and honour. As the Lord of the universe, he has deserved our perfect obedience. As our generous provider, he has deserved our heartfelt gratitude and for his perfect wisdom, beauty and holiness, he has deserved our wholehearted praise. And have we given him these things? 
Have we given to God what we have owed him? We know we haven't. We've withheld our respect. We've withheld that honour that he deserves. We've withheld obedience, gratitude and praise. And these are things that we owe God. We haven't, we haven't given them to him. We owe them to him like an unpaid debt. In fact, it's a whole lot worse than that. Because not only have we not given God what is owed to him, we have actively disrespected, dishonoured him, we've disobeyed him. Not only have we not obeyed him, we've actively disobeyed him, sometimes unwittingly, very often willfully. We've disobeyed him with our sexual sin and pornography, our selfish anger, our vanity. We've disobeyed God with not cherishing those that he has put into our lives, husbands, not cherishing their wives as they ought to. Wives not respecting their husbands as they ought to. I, I see parents, and I see myself in the past, not cherishing their children as they ought to. And children not honouring their parents. And instead of giving God gratitude, what do we give him? Well, I can give you a, a concrete example. We had to move out of our old office, which has been a great blessing to us for seven years. This morning, my first morning in the new office in 100 Elizabeth Street. And instead of one door, there are four doors. And instead of one staircase, there are now two winding staircases. And instead of my own grand office, where I had my coffee table and my lounge chairs, I'm now sharing with three other guys, sharing one office. And my spirit is complaining. I'm complaining about this. I don't, I'm not saying it. Well, I am now, because I guess I... <laughs> I wasn't. Now I am. <laughs> we complain. You know, there are pastors in labour camps in North Korea, and I'm complaining about my four doors and my two flights of steps. So not only have we not given... God, what we owe him, we've given him disobedience, dishonour, complaining. And so, on top of everything, we owe him punishment. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. I was listening to a lady on the radio just on Friday afternoon. I didn't get the whole interview, but I got enough to know that, that she had stolen or embezzled half a million dollars and she had been caught. And so not only did this lady owe half a million dollars to the people that she had stolen from, what else did she owe? What else did she owe? She deserved to be punished for what she'd done, not just to repay, but she also deserved to be punished for stealing, 
And, and brothers and sisters, that, that's exactly you and me. Not only do we still owe God the glory, honor, praise, obedience, respect, and gratitude that we have not given him, but the wages of sin is death, and we owe him a great debt of, of punishment. We stand before God, the Bible says, in terrible, terrible debt. A lifetime of unpaid honor and obedience and the punishment we deserve for criminally withholding these things from the living God. Now, some of you don't care. Some of you don't care. Some of you just don't believe this. You don't believe in God. And you, well, you have a vague idea about God. And yes, he might be there. He might have made me. But I didn't come here to hear these, these dark and threatening things this morning. And you don't care about what I've just said. You don't care that the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And you sleep very soundly at night. And if that's you, you, you will have no interest in what I'm about to say from the word of God. What I'm about to say will it be of no concern to you whatsoever. And so if uh, you were pretending to be on your phone looking at the Bible, you don't have to pretend any longer. You can go to Facebook or whatever it is that you're looking at. What I'm about to say will mean nothing to you. But others of you, as I talk about this debt that we owe to God, and as I bring our attention back to the fact that the wages of sin is death. You're very concerned. You're very concerned. You feel it, you feel it very keenly. And in your best moments, it keeps you awake at night. And in your best moments, you look up to God and his face terrifies you. Because you know the debt that you owe him. You feel it. For you, the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer is wonderful, wonderful news. If you're here this morning and you know that debt that you owe to God, and you know that debt of punishment that you deserve, the fifth petition is glorious. Astonishing, wonderful, because in the fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, our Lord Jesus commands us to pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. The Lord Jesus Christ invites you, commands you to pray, forgive us our debts. Now, who was taught to pray, forgive us our trespasses? Because that's what I was taught to pray. And that, in fact, comes from the 1662 Anglican Book of Common Prayer. That's, that's, that's why if I, I was taught to pray the Lord's Prayer at primary school, at a state school. And the prayer book version was used, forgive us our trespasses. What does the word trespass mean? It means to, to cross a, a boundary that you shouldn't be crossing. That's trespassing. And so I, I don't think that that is a misleading way of praying the Lord's Prayer, but the original word, the Greek word, aphelema, refers specifically to a debt, a debt that one person 
owes to another. It refers to a workman's wages. Okay, so you're a boss, you're a manager, your workmen have done their work, you owe them. That's what the word means. You owe them a debt, the debt of their, their wages. Paul, in Romans chapter 1, said he felt very keenly that the gospel was a debt that he owed to the Gentile nations. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 7, says that husbands and wives owe each other a sexual relationship. It's a debt that they owe each other, he says. In the Bible, it refers to financial debt as well. In this case, in the Lord's Prayer, our Lord Jesus, when he says that we should come to our Heavenly Father and pray, forgive us our debts, he is referring specifically to that debt of obedience that we owed to God and have never paid to him. That honour that we owed God, that thankfulness that we owed God, that obedience that we owed God, that we never did. He's referring to that debt. And he's referring to that debt of punishment that is crushing down on our shoulders. The wages of sin is death. And that is the debt that our Lord Jesus is referring to when he teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts. Now, this word forgive, it's such a rich word in the Bible. For those, those geeks in the church, I know you're out there, aphiami, aphiami is the Greek word. And, and Homer used this word to describe the releasing of an arrow, the loosing of an arrow. It's a lovely picture, actually. And so that's what it meant, uh, literally, literally it meant to, to let go of an arrow, but metaphorically it came to, to mean to release someone from a legal obligation. So let's say uh, someone owed you money, you release them like an arrow, you release them from that debt. It also came to refer to divorce, sadly, to releasing someone from their marital vows and obligations. In the Old Testament, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this same word, aphiami, which is the word that Jesus Christ used in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts. It's the word translated forgive, and we'll come to that. It refers to Joseph's brothers, who, after Jacob died, what happened to Joseph's brothers after Jacob dies? Dad's dead now. And Joseph is the second most important man in Egypt, the most powerful man. And we're in a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> because Dad was probably the only one keeping Joseph from unleashing his anger upon us for throwing him in the pit and then selling him into slavery. And the brothers come to Joseph and they plead with him to Aphiami, to let go. Let go of the punishment that they deserve. It's the same word. It refers, it refers in Leviticus 16 to the releasing of the scapegoat. The goat that symbolically bore the sins of Israel. It's that same word, to release the goat, aphiami. And, and this is my favourite, 
It refers in Leviticus chapter 25 to the trumpet blast of the Jubilee. And the Jubilee was one of the greatest of Israel's festivals because it happened how often? Every 50 years. So you had a Sabbath of a Sabbath of years. Seven times seven years, 49 years. And on that 50th 50th year, the priest would take a ram's horn and there'd be a mighty blast of the ram's horn and this would initiate the Jubilee year. And what happened in the Jubilee year? Those who owed money, the debt was forgiven. The debt was forgiven. Debts, all debts wiped clean in Jubilee year. And if you had uh, sold your property... In order to pay a debt, your property was returned to you. And if you had sold your person into uh, debt slavery, you were, you were set free. It's a wonderful, wonderful occasion. Every 50 years, once in a lifetime, the trumpet blast would blow and those in debt slavery were freed and their land was freed, free of debt. What a feeling when you heard that trumpet blow, except for those who had loaned a whole lot of money, I guess. But for those who were under obligation, a tremendous burden lifted off their shoulders. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, it is not called the year of Jubilee. It's called the year of Aphiemi. It's called the year of forgiveness. That's what it's called. The year that... I am released from debt slavery, the year that I am released from what I owed. A tremendous year. And Jesus' prayer, this fifth petition of the Lord's Prayer, is that trumpet blast, brothers and sisters. We hear when Jesus says, come before your Father and pray. Forgive us our debts. He is blowing the trumpet and he is saying, forgiveness is on offer. Freedom is there for the taking. And you know what? You don't have to wait 50 years. This is not once in a lifetime. The Lord's Prayer is what kind of a prayer? It's a daily prayer. Every day the trumpet blows and God says, I will forgive you your debts. That debt, that crushing debt of obedience and honour, respect and gratitude that you never paid to God, lifted, lifted, gone. And that death that you so thoroughly earned by your disobedience, that debt of death, lifted, trumpet is blown, lifted, forgive us our debts. Jesus invites us to pray this now, commands us to pray this now. It's extraordinary, isn't it? And here's here's the... The amazing thing. How do we come to be forgiven of our debts? 
we ask for it. Jesus does not say, here's the fee you must pay, and then God will forgive you. There's no fee that, that we could possibly pay to God for what we have, have owed to him. He doesn't require a hundred years in purgatory before you'll be forgiven. A hundred years wouldn't suffice in any case. He doesn't require a thousand acts of devotion before God will forgive. A thousand acts would never cover what we have owed God in the past. He just says, ask for it. That's all. Just ask. Just confess your sin and ask God to forgive you. And he will. Do you know why he will? Because he loves to. He loves to forgive. It's in the very heart and nature of God to forgive. I think of the prophet Jeremiah. Jerusalem has been destroyed. And he's wondering, is this the end of the nation? Is this the end of God's people? And Jeremiah knew that the people richly deserved to be obliterated, to be wiped out entirely. And yet, in the middle of despair, Jeremiah prays this. The Book of Lamentations, chapter 3. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. His mercies never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, he prays. God loves to forgive. He delights to forgive. It's in his very nature to show mercy to sinful men and women and boys and girls. It's good news, brothers and sisters. What, what joy Joseph's brothers felt, don't you think, when they came groveling to their brother and, and by the way, what, remember when they talked to Joseph, they, they lied, didn't they? They said, oh, by the way, before Dad died, he said you had to forgive us. Remember? They fibbed. <laughs> so pathetic. And Joseph just weeps at, at how pathetic they are and how wrong they were about him. He was longing to forgive them. And he forgave them. He said... Go in peace. Go in peace. And what joy they would have felt that day. And what joy the nation experienced when that trumpet blast, the year of Jubilee, was sounded and all debts were lifted, all obligations lifted. Freedom for the slaves. The land released back to its original owners. I think of David. I think of King David. And he had taken the, the wife of his best friend. Well, Uriah, we don't, I don't know if he's his best friend. Jonathan was his best friend. But later, in the later books of Samuel, we said that Uriah was one of the mighty men, one of David's bodyguard. He was close to David. And David had taken his wife got her pregnant and then tried to cover it up. And then 
had the husband murdered, his friend, his bodyguard murdered. And this would have been crushing him. In fact, in Psalm 32, he talks about his bones wasting away within him with the guilt and the shame of what he had done. And then the prophet Nathan declares to him, David, the Lord's forgiven you. Your sin has been removed. What relief. What joy. And in his exuberance, he writes Psalm 32, how happy is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, lifted, whose sins are covered. How happy is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. Isn't it it just amazing that we can be here this morning and hear Jesus saying these words? It's extraordinary that he says, come before God and, and just pray and just say, forgive me, Father. Just forgive me. And he will because he delights to and it's in his nature. And that debt, that crushing debt, I, I know some of you don't care, but most of you do. And that crushing burden of, of, of debt and guilt is just lifted is forgiven, taken away. And so what do you need to ask for forgiveness for today? Right now. Perhaps your, your unforgiveness, your pornography, your sexual immorality, your pride, your vanity, your idols, your greed, your complaining, your anger, your gluttony, your failure to cherish your husband, your wife, your children, your parents. What do you need to ask for forgiveness for today? It's a daily prayer. We have to keep short accounts with God. Short accounts. Every day we pray. And, and his, you know, Martin Luther, he beat himself up over this. He agonized over this. He thought there must be things that I've done that I haven't thought of. And, and, and that ravaged him. And he was tossing and turning at night for years. He thought, there must be things I've done that I haven't asked for forgiveness, and I'm still bearing that. And then he, then he worked it out. <laughs> Forgive me for all my sins, Father. The things I know about, the things I don't know about, the things I've forgotten about. All of it, and all of it is lifted. Immediately. And what about as a church... I think that there's pressure being brought to bear on our church right now with this whole moving thing. It's, it's pressure. And we'd be foolish not to ask the question, is there something that God is bringing to our attention as a church 
Are there things as a church that we need to be repenting of and asking for forgiveness for? Our lukewarmness, our fear, our selfishness. What is it about us as a church that we need to confess? Well, whatever it is, the trumpet has been blown. Forgiveness has been declared. And we come to God now and we pray as our Lord Jesus taught us to pray. Father, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We'll look at that second line next week, as we have forgiven our debtors. God stands ready to forgive. And so we're going to pray now. What I'd like, to, like us to do, in fact, is, is a minute of silence to pray for the things that you need to pray about, to ask forgiveness for the things that you need to ask forgiveness for. And then I'd like two or three of our senior members, whether you're elders or some of our ladies who've been part of Cornerstone for some time, two or three, maybe even four, to pray on behalf of us as a church, collectively, if there's something that's weighing on your heart that as a church we need to ask for God's forgiveness for, then two, three, four people to pray and then I'll finish. Let's pray.